Now, we're in a, a series uh, in our church. We've got this Sunday and next Sunday to go on what are known as the Beatitudes, uh, the blessed attitudes um, that Jesus gave um, in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, uh, we're, we're in that place uh, where we've been looking at these blessed attitudes. And the first, uh, and the reason they're called the Beatitudes is because Jesus says, blessed are certain types of people. And that word blessed, I just recap, um, it could mean um, happy are those folk. That could be another translation. Another translation could be congratulations to those. Blessed, happy, congratulations. And what Jesus is saying is this is, is, this is a description of who he is. Um, this is a description of who he is. Thank you. Um, this is a description of who uh, Jesus is. So this isn't just a description of, of who he wants us to be, but it begins, it begins with him. And uh, today we're looking at blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Happy are those who make peace. Now, for a while, I thought that kind of peacemaker type people were really a, a, a particular personality type. You know, there are those that are alpha males and alpha females. Um, there are those who are um, uh, more extroverts. Uh, there are those who are more competitive. Uh, and there are those who are quieter, gentler people. And it's the blessed are the quieter, gentler people uh, who, because they're the peacemakers. That's not what it means. Uh, to be a peacemaker is to be a disciple of Jesus, not a personality type. It's not a personality tra trait. It's to be a follower of Jesus. It's for all of us, whatever our personality types. And um, the next question I had when I was reading this was, how does that phrase, blessed are the peacemakers, square with what Jesus also said, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword, to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And have you ever wondered that sometimes Jesus says two things that seem a bit contradictory until you dig into them? And it's blessed are the peacemakers. And then he says, well, I haven't come to bring peace, but a sword. What's going on there? How do you put those two together? Here's what my take on it. Conflict is inevitable. It's not something we choose, but it is something that is inevitable, certainly it's inevitable when you come to know Jesus. Because when you come to know Jesus, you have to march to the beat of a different drum and a different drum to the world around us. And sometimes that's not popular. It's not popular to be different and to have different views and different ethics and different morals. Uh, but also, sometimes in many parts of the world, just to become a Christian... Um, is, is, is to cause a problem. And I just want to tell you briefly, I've got a story on that. Um, when I was 14 years old, 
um, I wrote an essay in my English class. And the essay title was, Why I'm Not a Christian. And I said, I'm not a Christian because Christianity is for weak people who need a crutch. It's for ignorant people who don't understand that science has the answers. And it's for old people who are afraid of dying. And I said that uh, because my parents uh, brought me up as an atheist because they were Greek Orthodox atheists. Uh, they emigrated from Cyprus and um, they were... Um, um, uh, uh, they hated the corruption in the Orthodox Church. And, uh, and so they were very, very mocking of anything to do with religion and particularly Christianity. And so I followed on from them. And it's God's sense of humour that just over a year after I wrote um, that, that essay, um, I became a Christian. And I became a Christian because I discovered that Christianity isn't about rules and religion and regulations. It's about a relationship. I didn't realise that. I had no idea what I was rejecting. But the problem was, I realised as soon as I became a Christian, I mentioned to my parents that I was, I was interested and the reaction was really hostile. And before I became a Christian, I was incredibly shy I was incredibly introverted. I didn't go out anywhere. I certainly didn't go to parties or anything like that. And my parents were really worried about me. And my dad used to say to me, why aren't you going to parties and getting drunk like your father used to do, like I used to do? You should be doing that. You should be, you should be meeting girls and doing things. And it's just the opposite of what most parents say. Uh, but it was that. So when I became a Christian... Um, I knew that they wouldn't like me going to church or me going to the home group that, um, I, uh, that I joined. So I lied to them and I told them I was going to parties and I told them I was going to the pub and I told them I was doing all sorts of things like that and my dad was thrilled. So, you know, I'd come home from church and my dad say, would say, where have you been? Oh, I've been to the pub with some friends, dad. That's my boy. Did, did you have a lot to drink? Oh, oh yeah, quite a bit. Did, 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 you, did you find girls? Oh yeah, dad, yeah. And, and he was so thrilled for me. And, uh, and I, I carried on like that for a while until the leaders of my home group um, sat me down and they said, Mike, we've been praying about this. Um, do you think that's honouring to God? to lie to your parents in order to come here. And I was like, please don't go there. Please, let, please let's not. And, and, and I said, but if I told them the truth, they'd ban me from coming. And I, I don't think I'll cope without fellowship, without, without others. And then they did a terrible thing that leaders sometimes do, which is evil and manipulative. They said to me, why don't we pray about it? I've done that to people ever since. And we prayed about it. And of course, when we prayed about it, I didn't have a choice because I knew. And so I said, well, you better pray for me when I go back. And I went home and I told my mum and dad that I hadn't been going to parties, but I'd been going to prayer meetings and they went ballistic. They went completely, and I remember, I remember, 
I was standing on the stairs in the middle. My mum was at the top of the stairs. My dad was at the bottom of the stairs. And my mum was crying and my dad was shouting. And I was so unnerved. I'd just been filled with the Spirit. I was so unnerved by it all. I didn't know what to do or say. I was so caught up that I started speaking in tongues really loudly. And suddenly they both stopped. And my mum looked, she said, he's gone mad. And my dad said, he's, he's, what have they done to him? He's gone crazy. And then I so panicked that I ran out the door and I decided I'd left home. And I went to the leaders of my home group and I said to them, I've left home. They smiled, they let me in, they sat me down, they prayed for me, and then the so-and-so sent me back. Uh, but you know what? The honest truth was, it was hard from then on. It was hard from then on. They never accepted my faith. They never did. And it was really painful. And to my sadness... They both went to their graves thinking that I'd wasted my life. That I'd wasted my life on stuff that was not, was not important and that was stupid. And for me, that was the cost of following Jesus. I was never going to be understood. I was never going to be able to explain because they were never going to come to him. And there are many, many folk that have had a story like that. And so that's what Jesus means when I have not come to bring peace, but a sword, because he comes to bring the truth. Conflict is the inevitable result of his coming to us. And if we are worthy of him, we must love him best and put him first, because that is how he loves us. Conflict is the inevitable result of his coming to us. And if we are worthy of him, his words, we must love him best and put him first because this is how he loves us. And this is how he loved us. We're not meant to seek conflict or be responsible for it. You see, it's something that comes. It's not something we seek. Uh, Hebrews 12, 14 tells us we're to make every effort to live in peace with everyone. Every effort, everyone, to live in peace. Uh, Paul says in Romans 12, verses 18 and 19, if it is possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Listen to what it says. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. And that's an acknowledgement that we can do the best that we can and it still, it still might not be because it takes two sides to be at peace. And, and sometimes there won't be able to be peace. Sometimes there won't be able to be reconciliation. Sometimes that won't happen. But our role, our job, our calling is as far as we can, as much as we can, we make the move. Peace and peacemaking 
is a divine work. It's a work of God. Because peace both means and involves reconciliation. Reconciliation is at the heart of peace. And that is what Jesus came to do. He came to reconcile. Listen to this. Paul says to two in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. So twice in that passage, Paul says, he has reconciled and he has called us to reconciliation. It's, it's both. We follow what he did first. Who he is, we become in him. And um, he, he reconciles us to God, making peace between us. Now, peace is not appeasement. We're not talking about appeasement. We're not talking about um, being a doormat. We're not talking about um, doing what anyone wants at any price. It's not about that. You know, if there's abuse going on, whether it's emotional abuse, physical abuse, or any other kind of abuse, you know, we, we, stand, we stand up for justice. We stand for certain things. Uh, God, J Jesus did not pursue peace at any price. There were times he confronted. There were times he confronted injustice. There were times he spoke truth. And it said, the, the Bible tells us that Jesus was full, is full of grace and truth. And it has to be both. It's grace and truth. It's not one or the other. If you just have grace and not truth, what you have is a sloppy sentimentality with no backbone that doesn't say anything prophetic to anyone. If you just have truth without grace, what you end up is with a harsh legalism um, that, is, that is judgmental and that is condemning. And what Jesus managed to marry, what, who God is, is both. It's grace and truth. And he calls us to both. So sometimes, um, sometimes for the sake of peace, we actually have to confront. Peace is not at any price. And yet, peace is always costly. To make peace is always costly. Just think of Jesus, the immense cost of the cross to bring reconciliation. And do you know, even as Jesus was dying on the cross, even as he was dying on the cross, he said to Mary, behold your son, pointing to John. And he said to John, behold your mother. And from that day on, John took Mary into his home and looked after her. As he was dying, he was reconciling people, not only to God, but to one another. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredible? That's our Jesus. And that's what he calls us to, the ministry of reconciliation. We're not to be like the false prophets who said, peace, peace, where there is no peace. We're to be honest. There is at the very least in making peace, at the very least, 
the cost of apologizing to the person we have injured or the pain of challenging the person who has injured us. And that's part of the cost. The cost of apologizing to the person we have injured or the pain of challenging the person who has injured us. Now, there are a few people I've met who love confrontation and conflict. And I run away from them a mile. Most of us don't. Most of us hate that. And I've always struggled with confrontation and conflict. And for too much of my life, I, I would not have the tough conversation uh, because it was easier to hide. It was easier to withdraw. And I know where I got that from. I got that from my childhood. You know, you didn't argue with my dad. You didn't have a discussion with my dad. He would blow up and it would be frightening. So I grew up thinking conflict is dangerous. Confrontation will give me pain. So I will withdraw. So I, I, I kept doing that for so much of my life. But of course, what happens when you do that is there's no resolution. There's simply hiding. There is simply hiding. And, and actually to say, I care about this relationship so much that if I've wronged you, I'm going to say sorry rather than hope that it all gets forgotten in a few weeks. Or... I'm going to say to you, look, I love you. This relationship means a lot to me. I need to say to you, that hurt. I need to say to you, what you said wounded me. What you did made me struggle. And that's, that's the way you come to peace. That's the way you come to reconciliation. By, by being honest about, about where we are. And so often in our culture, uh, will either, we'll either go vitriol on social media, which is so destructive, or we will say nothing face to face. And it's learning how to do it in grace. It's learning how to do it for the sake of relationship. If you care, there was a great book that came out years ago uh, that I, lo I just love the title. It was called Caring Enough to Confront. And that's a, a great, great way of seeing it. Above all, above all, there's the cost of forgiveness. There's the cost of releasing forgiveness. The cost of laying down our power to retaliate. The cost of laying down the grudge. And there is a cost to that. Um, and I think this is particularly true in marriages, not that I know much about it, but I think it's true of the whole of life. We, we, the way you can tell is if you haven't had a short account of forgiveness is when you say to someone, you did it again. You're always doing that. I've been married to you 17 years and for 17 years, you do, you, you, it drives me nuts. You always do that. I can predict you'll do that. I know exactly how you're going to do that. Or we've been friends for however long and you always do that. The amazing thing about God is when he forgives, he forgets. When he, he never says that. When he forgives, he rubs it out. He doesn't rub it in. It's a short account with God. And I'm not saying that we pray for amnesia. I'm not praying we, that God wipes away our memory. I'm not saying that. I'm saying 
we get to the place where, where forgiveness means we let go. We let go. We will not look for revenge. We will not, we will not look for, they're going to do it again and I'm going to be ready next time. I've got, I've got my comeback. Have you ever got to the stage where you, you know you're going to have a conversation with someone where it's going to be difficult and you've worked out the conversation in your head in advance and in your head you've worked out that you have the last sentence and it's a killer that floors them and then you, and then you go and you have the conversation and they don't follow the script? Anyone? Is it just me? Okay, it's just me. Uh, it, but, but that's the truth. Now some of us, those of us that are older, we, we remember the Cold War. From the end of the Second World War, 1945, until the 1980s with um, President Gorbachev and Reagan and Glasnost, we had a Cold War. And what it was, was on one level, no one fought, no one died. But it was literally what it was called a Cold War. Where the two sides were constantly on edge, constantly suspecting one another's motives, constantly manoeuvring, constantly ready to do battle, constantly ready to do the other side in. And sadly, when we're not peacemakers, we can often end up in a cold war with others. On the outside, it looks okay, but actually things have never been resolved. And what Jesus calls us to is to lay down our weapons, to lay down our defences and to forgive. To be a peacemaker is also, it's not just about bringing reconciliation between you and another person. It, this, is the, this is another tough one. It's about being willing to bring reconciliation between two other parties. In the office, Two of your colleagues are at loggerheads. They hate each other. They're saying stuff about each other. And isn't it the easiest thing to say, I'm going to keep my head down. I'm not getting involved in this. Uh, because if I get in between them, I'm going to be shot in the crossfire. They're, they're going to be, instead of shooting each other, they'll both shoot me. So I'm going to keep my head down and mind my own business. But as followers of Jesus, he calls us in wisdom, in discernment, to be those who will bring and attempt to bring reconciliation to others. The cost of this can often be being misunderstood. You're on their side. Why are you defending them? Why are you defending them? The cost of this um, can be, uh, as I said, being fired upon by both sides. It involves choosing to really listen to both sides to really, really listen without judgment, to choose to hear someone's heart. And I know when I've got uptight about stuff, when I've got angry and upset and I've overreacted and I've reacted in a sinful way, you know, when someone comes and gives me a list of all that I've done wrong, I will by nature defend myself and attack them. But when someone comes to me and loves me enough to listen and says, tell me, tell me, tell me what's going on. Tell me how you feel. As I'm saying it, as I'm saying it, without being judged, I, I, the number of times I say partway through, hey, 
I'm in the wrong, aren't I? I shouldn't have reacted like that, should I? And then they might gently go, hmm, hmm. A gentle answer turns away wrath, it says in the scripture. And sometimes just the gift of listening, the gift of listening, so that people come to, you know what, this is what's going, really going on. The presenting thing wasn't the thing. This is what's really going on. And in our world that is so divided, so broken, so many relationships that fall apart, he calls us to be peacemakers. And I end with this. Why will, are the peacemakers blessed? Because they will be called children of God. Why will they be called children of God? I'll tell you why. Because he is the Prince of Peace. Because it's to be like him. When we are peacemakers, we are like our God. We are like our Father. We are like the Prince of Peace. Because he loves those who hate him and pays the price so that his haters might become lovers. That's what he's like. And that's why we follow him. To be a peacemaker is to be a child of God. Beth and the band, why don't you come up? Give everyone hope. And that's what we long to be. And it's a journey. It's a journey we go on. You know, we, what we're talking about here is we're talking about the, the, the only perfect one in all this is Jesus, is Jesus. We are imperfect. We get it wrong, but we're on a journey. And it's a, he, he gives us, this is what I'm like. Come closer to me. Be more like me. And just the final thing I will say, uh, this involves on an individual level, but one of the things that I believe that God is saying to his church in these days it's, it's about the whole issue of disunity. Uh, I've been shocked recently, uh, just watching some video clips. I, I just saw one uh, the day before yesterday, uh, which was a, a, a rant on why, why, we shouldn't list, why we shouldn't play Bethel and Hillsong music in our churches because they're heretics. And then there's others about why you shouldn't go with them, why they're bad people, why, why this, is, this group's better, why they're this, why they're that. And do you know what? That is so destructive. And the only person I've ever met, ever, who has perfect theology and perfect practice is me. Even Crofty gets it wrong on a lot, especially Crofty gets it wrong, and I hope you're watching, uh, on a lot of things. I'm the only one. But do you know what? If I based my sense of fellowship and peace on those who have perfect theology and perfect practice, I would just be having fellowship with me. And that would not be very interesting. And that would not be very fun. And of course, none of us has that. We all get it wrong. And do you know what? We need to think like this. If they're going to be with us in heaven, 
We better get on with them on earth. Because can you imagine? Can you imagine, you know, like you get to heaven and you think, oh, what are they doing there? What are you doing here? I hope your mansion isn't next to mine. I want you in another country. It doesn't work. And for the church, part of our witness to the world is our unity. By this will everyone know you're my disciples if you love each other, if you love each other. Amen.